festival tonight. So I always like to begin by quoting Baba Muktananda who began all his talks by saying in Hindi, Sabko With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was the cornerstone of his teaching, to welcome other people with love, to see God in other people. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you. And it's uh, November 5th, November 5th, a very important date for me, because on this day, 51 years ago, I received a very powerful and important initiation from Baba during a question-answer session in Ganeshpuri. Uh, which actually transformed the direction of my life. And I thought I'd celebrate it tonight, but then I thought, nah, nah. As we used to say back in Brooklyn, nah. No, I thought the intensive is a good time. So the intensive is going to be called the I am the self intensive. And I'll talk about that initiation and discuss various aspects of it. But tonight I just want to remember it. Maybe the best day of my life. I don't know. <clears throat> so tonight, uh, but nonetheless, in honor of this night, um, I'm going to uh, be drawing on the words and teachings of my favorite of all the great beings that I do. And it's... <laughs> Baba Muktananda, my guru. <clears throat> and there's that Baba, that's the Baba, that could have been taken the very day that that, that initiation happened, because that's Baba uh, in, in his room during a question-answer session, and he had a little lavalier microphone, you see that there? Uh, but that was not to, um, what do you call it, amplify the sound, it was only to be recorded on a, a little cassette player. Uh, and uh, there he was being expressive and uh, answering questions. And then uh, what else do we have? But tonight also I'm going to draw on some, this is a very different Baba. This is Baba on his uh, world tour. And uh, I don't know, maybe Fallsburg, maybe not. And what else do you have? Another picture from the, the world tour, Baba giving one of his talks. That could be L.A., could be Fallsburg, uh, or Oakland even. Oakland, I think. Could be Oakland, yeah. <clears throat> Bob is saying, I am the self. <laughs> okay. Is that it? Okay, so, <clears throat> now the first bit is from his world tour. Um, there was a, a wonderful character in those days. It was a, a therapist named Dr. Harold Streitfeld, and Baba gave the name Shiva, so he was Shiva Streitfeld. <laughs> and he was very extroverted, and I've often talked about him. Um, 
we were reasonably uh, terrified of Baba. Um, those of us who hung around him a lot. Uh, and so we would always just, you know, but uh, Harold Streitfeld was, had no such problems. And he would always ask Baba all kinds of strange questions. And we would go, what an idiot asking that. And then we'd say, that's great that he's asking that. And we'd listen. Uh, so, and he would always go, well, Baba, what about this? What about that? All kinds of naive questions which gave Baba an opportunity to speak. So in New York City, during that tour, <clears throat> he gathered 60 psychologists. He organized a, a darshan for them with Baba. And this is Harold at the beginning. He says, Baba, I've found you to be a master therapist. A mysterious psychotherapy begins to take place within as the process of spontaneous yoga unfolds under your guidance. You have the intuitive power to know exactly what is needed by a person at a given time and what will be a challenge to him in his personal and spiritual growth. You can do this with hundreds and thousands of people. How do you manage this? <clears throat> Your timing is extraordinary. We therapists are on, see only a small number of patients, and yet we need to make detailed records in order to keep track of all of them. Baba, you have thousands and thousands of devotees, and you never take notes. How are you able to keep track of them and of all their needs and problems? <laughs> wonderful, isn't it? <clears throat> so um, Baba says, um, if you have a thorough knowledge of every kind of sickness, you'll find that any particular sickness will itself tell you what treatment to prescribe for it. A therapist or a doctor has to be aware of two things, disease and its remedies. <clears throat> Prajna, are you watching? Prajna watching today? So where am I looking, here? Okay, because she's very much about diagnostics. So. <clears throat> Good doctors have a kind of inner meter by which they can detect diseases, and it's this inner meter which is important. The moment a patient comes in front of you, you can tell what the illness is and what the remedy would be. Every therapist should try to acquire this inner meter. Harold says, and not let your thinking get in the way? Baba. Eventually, even the mind takes on the character of that inner meter, and then the mind doesn't get in the way. So as you meditate deeply and connect with the self, the mind is no longer a problem. The mind becomes an agent of the self. Instead of the mind being the ally and supporter of your neuroses and your ignorance, the mind actually supports the self, and your intuition develops, and so on. <clears throat> Baba says, it's only as long as the mind keeps roaming outside and becomes involved in outer objects that it is the mind as we normally know it. But when it turns within totally, when it is dissolved into consciousness, the mind itself becomes that meter. <clears throat> Harold, isn't it hard to work after the mind has dissolved? <laughs> and now what Baba says here is very interesting because this is a common uh, misunderstanding that people have of yoga. And they think that the mind disappears, that a great yogi has no mind, they just pull the mind right out. Uh, 
But just as the uh, yogi has arms and legs, so a yogi has a mind. It's just part of it. It's just that a yogi's arms and legs don't get him into trouble, and his mind doesn't get him in trouble either. Mind becomes uh, under his control. And we're usually at the mercy of our mind. Our mind leads us in very bad directions. It involuntarily says, says all kinds of things to us that makes us miserable. Uh, so this is what happens. Anyway, Baba says, don't take that expression literally. I don't mean that the mind ceases to function or that one loses consciousness. Just as water acquires the color of anything it comes in contact with, so does the mind. When the color of water changes, the water does not cease to be water. In the same way, when the mind merges into the inner self, it doesn't cease to function. It is not destroyed. Some people have an irrational fear in this regard because they don't understand what the phrase dissolution of the mind means. What is the nature of the mind? And he's talking to 60 psychologists. Who was, you know, so he's giving them a teaching from the ancient sages about the mind. It is not an inert substance, but the energy of consciousness itself. When that energy is directed outward, it becomes what we call the mind. When it turns inward into the self, then we say that the mind has been dissolved. And there's an echo here of two sutras from Shaivism, from the Pratyabhijna Vridayam. There's Swami Bhaktananda's favorite sutras, the fifth and the thirteenth sutra. In the fifth sutra, it says, right? <laughs> <laughs> The, the fifth sutra says, when consciousness turns outward and goes out through the senses to the world, it becomes the mind. But when consciousness withdraws from the senses and turns inside and rises up, it becomes the self. And I often do an experiment of uh, having people turn within, and in the very first moment of that turning within, what happens inside? Not the second or third moment, but the very first one. Let's try it. You try it? I love this experiment. <clears throat> so here's what we do. Keep your eyes open now. You're looking outside. Yes, how interesting, how interesting, how fascinating. Right? And then you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna watch carefully, you're gonna close your eyes and turn within and see what happens inside, what kind of movement takes place inside. Right now, go do it. Okay, that's all. I don't want you to linger because the mind will act up again. But in that moment, let's hear from a few people. What, what happened in that very moment, that first moment? Blue. What? Blue. White light. White light. White light. <laughs> that's good. Uh, where, I heard bliss over here? Bliss. Peace. Peace. There's, there's an elevation, an expansion, an upliftment, an elevation, a relaxation. And that's as the mind turns away and turns. And then, of course, if you continue meditating, it, very often the mind starts attacking you with all kinds of thoughts. But in that first movement of turning within, 
you get that elevation. Eventually, you learn the art of not letting those thoughts that come in disturb you, and you can stay in that expanded, peaceful state as you meditate. <clears throat> so, Baba says, our sages have defined the supreme reality or consciousness or the inner self as that which, though it lives in the mind, is separate from the mind. It cannot be known by the mind because the mind is its body. Just as this body, there's this uh, being within this body, so within the mind, there's the inner self. The mind doesn't know the self. The mind looks around, doesn't know it. The mind wants to build instruments to measure the self or something. But it's the, the, the mind is the body of that self. It makes the mind active. It is inner consciousness, the purest joy. As long as that inner consciousness functions, a therapist need not fear that the mind will cease to function. <clears throat> Psychologist. This is a different one, not Harold. How do we help the man who sees everything in a negative way? So this is a real issue for therapists because they meet a lot of negative people. I never meet any negative people, but, but therapists might, right? <clears throat> Baba, Baba's answer is quite beautiful. He says, by being friends with him and giving him your love and approaching him through your heart. But first, it is necessary for one to totally help oneself, to unfold all the strength there is inside. It's no use trying to help others if you haven't helped yourself. So he's saying that even therapists, therapists have to do sadhana, have to do practice to become established in the self, uh, because if they're not established in it, how can they truly help another person? So, but if you're in, the, in that state, then you can help others. What we need to do first is become stronger ourselves and discover the power of the self within, Baba says. Then by means of goodwill and the inner power, we'll be able to help others. I've also studied medicine, Baba says. The Indian system of Ayurvedic medicine, not Western medicine. According to Ayurvedic medicine, a doctor's love for his patients is far more effective than medicine. According to our medical texts, a drug is only 40% important, whereas a doctor's love and goodwill for the patient is 60% important. Isn't that nice? At one time, I practiced Ayurvedic medicine, but I gave it up because I realized that there were many others doing the same work, and that if I quit, it would be a, no loss for anyone. <laughs> Even now, I occasionally recommend Ayurvedic medicine, but my principal work is to pre prescribe medicines not for physical ailments, but for the disease of existence. Isn't that marvelous? <clears throat> the disease of existence, which is more harmful than all other diseases put together. Other diseases afflict only the sick, but this disease afflicts even healthy people. What do they call it? The uh, existential malaise. Have you felt the existential malaise in your life? That certainly that drove me to India, actually. This existential malaise. Even as I say it, I feel great joy. 
because it helped me get to uh, where I'm supposed to go. Thank you, existential malaise. But don't come around soon. <clears throat> Physician, do you see disease as a symptom of defects of the spirit? That's kind of a new age question, because new age tends to see whatever you have, well, that's because you're this way. You have that disease, that's because you're a terrible person. Uh, Baba says, Baba's got a practical answer. Baba, generally speaking, a disease results from the combination of two factors. The wrong kind of food that the body eats and the wrong kind of food that the mind eats. Our Ayurvedic system of medicine says that you should take food like medicine. Instead of a you know, huge pleasure, you should take what's necessary for the, to sustain life. That's very different from our attitude, isn't it? Uh, it is food which keeps you healthy and ensures longevity. And it is also food which can make you weak and feeble if you eat indiscriminately. And when I say that the mind eats the wrong kind of food, my mind thinks all kinds of negative thoughts, like anger, jealousy, greed, lust, or anxiety. And of course, uh, as you med become a meditator and you start to do inquiry, you recognize that how powerful the mind is, what an effect it has on our life. When we think negative thoughts, when we burn in anger, we burn in fear, we burn in jealousy, uh, and we burn in anxiety. And this is the, these are the diseases of modern life. Anxiety is the major, major disease. And because of that, it sucks the lifeblood from our hearts. So it's very important to learn how to move the mind away from these things. So Bob is giving them a, a whole lesson in uh, on true, on yogic psychology. And here's some more from the same event. Another question. Why does the mind play tricks on us? Why don't things appear to us in their pure form? Baba says, the mind plays tricks when it sees that you're weak. So negativity comes in, <clears throat> negativity comes in and hits you in your weak point. You know, if you're, if you're very vulnerable to certain things, be sure that'll arrive. And so, but if you strengthen the mind through meditation, uh, then there's nowhere it can sell you. He says, but if the mind were to see that you're centered in the self, it would become your slave and lie at your feet. <laughs> it would no longer play tricks on you. The mind become your friend, your pet, your help. There's nothing more useful than your mind. How much do you do with your mind? But it's when the mind uh, runs amok and starts attacking you and creating paranoia and self-hatred, then it's uh, not working in the right direction. Then you should be able to say, mind, lie there. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. No tearing thoughts. No self-hatred. Shut up. And you should be able to get that control of the mind. He says, the mind plays its tricks as long as you're subject to the six passions. That's what he's just talking about. The six enemies, lust, infatuation, grief, jealousy, greed, and anger. Fortunately, none of he, no one here 
has ever heard of these things. <clears throat> Lust, infatuation, grief, jealousy, greed, and anger. What about uh, uh, fear and anxiety? Is that in there? No, that's left out. There may be seven enemies. <clears throat> but once we're purged of these passions, the mind stops bothering us. There was a seer, a man of firm resolution. He always did what he said he would do. He cherished his word, he made his word God. <clears throat> One day he took a sip of holy water and resolved, I'm going to stop all the thoughts and fancies of my mind. I'm going to give another direction to my fantasies and I'm going to become absorbed in meditation. After a while, a figure came out of his body, stood right in front of him and said, I'm leaving. The seer said, who are you? The figure said, I am your mind. Now that you've decided to stop all fancies and thoughts, I have to find some other place to live. If you won't let me influence you, why should I stay with you? Then another figure came out and stood in front of him. The seer asked, who are you? He said, I am your imagination. <laughs> Where are you going? I'm moving away from you. If you'll not get caught up in the grip of my fantasies, why should I stay with you? So I remember, that reminds me of uh, about 25 years ago. We were here. I was doing, uh, I did a short course on Gurdjieff's teachings. And um, Gurdjieff talks about imagination as a bad quality. In the way that Bob is talking about it, as, as you imagine all kinds of things and the mind gets destroyed and destroyed and um, it, it takes you away from the self. And there was a woman in the audience who was, um, <clears throat> who was very con uh, involved in the arts. And she said, Swamiji, Swamiji, imagination's a wonderful thing, a lovely thing. And I said, well, yes, madam. Um, I understand that for artists and so on and creators, it's a wonderful thing, but Gurdjieff is talking about it in a different way from a yogic way where imagination can be pernicious by creating all kinds of fantasies and fears and paranoia and so on. And she went, oh, Gurdjieff, how boring. <laughs> anyway, so it's not, it's not an attack on artists. If you have a creative imagination, it's okay. It's the kind of imagination that fills you with, with uh, hopeless fears and terrors and, and all kinds of things. Baba says, the mind plays tricks on you because you've become friends with the bad tendencies of the mind, because you've become a slave to the mind. If you become centered in the self, you become free, the mind will just lie quietly. The mind will behave. Nice? That's uh, Baba's... It's part of Baba's dialogue with the psychologist. The first program we gave in Ann Arbor, when Baba came to Ann Arbor, when we started the Ann Arbor Ashram and Baba came, uh, was a big program for uh, all the academics and psychologists in the University of Michigan. 
That's the program that Devi Ma met Baba. <clears throat> and uh, it was great to see Baba talking to the psychologists. Now a, a, a question from, <clears throat> what? You remember that? Yes, Dave Ma remembers. <clears throat> I was, uh, I was very nervous that, because I was hosting Baba for two weeks and the main thing that I was worried about, I've written about this in my book, is we, we, we rented a big hall in Ann Arbor uh, because it was called the Power Center. Power is Shakti, so I thought that's the perfect place. Big hall with uh, over a thousand seats. I was very optimistic, but Baba, a few years later, Baba could have filled that hall easily, but this was the beginning of his tour uh, and as time grew closer, I was worried, fretting more and more that um, uh, that we wouldn't fill it and it would just be a travesty and Baba would hate me and, you know, it's just awful. And so uh, the night came and I worried about it like crazy the whole time, as only one can worry when dealing with the guru. Uh, and so, and I was to give the introductory talk. And so I looked out at the audience and, it, you know, there was like 1,400 seats and there were about 250 people. And we closed the, the, the uh, balcony and we sat them, you know, a certain way and dimmed the lights so it looked like it was a crowd there. <laughs> and I was beside myself. <clears throat> and, um, uh, and then I forgot exactly how it went. Uh, but... Um, so I started to give the talk, and uh, Baba didn't show up, you know, talking, talking, and the word came that maybe Baba wasn't going to come. And so I had to just talk and talk until, and I'm talking, I'm thinking of things to say and I'm freaking out, and I'm just beside myself, and then Baba walked in. I was, ah. The next day in the Ann Arbor News, they said, that I, I gave a long, rambling, boring talk. <laughs> and then Baba came in, and he was very uh, attractive and appealing and marvelous. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know the hell I was in. <laughs> Maybe I won't come, he says. <clears throat> uh, where, where am I? Oh, okay. So this is, this is another, I, this is a wonderful question and answer which has special meaning to me as you will find out. Okay? This is uh, Uma, not our Uma, uh, but uh, Baba's Uma. She says, and this is from March of 1972 in the ashram, question and answer session with Baba, which was held several times a week. Uma says, does external behavior eventually change internal feeling? For example, if I remain silent or pleasant to someone, when inside I feel he's an incompetent fool, <laughs> am I doing the right thing? Isn't it hypocritical to act one way and feel another? <clears throat> this is the area of external considering, isn't it? So. Uh, so she's saying, shouldn't I be more honest and say, you fool, 
<coughs> Baba says, what makes you think that all the people in the world are wise or clever? Baba Nityananda was fully enlightened, but are all people fully enlightened? <coughs> he knew that there were so many fools around him, and yet he would look at everyone as an embodiment of the same Lord. And he would not regard them as fools, much less call them or treat them as fools. So Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff says <coughs> that it's not good to express negative emotions, um, but to speak to people where they are. Baba says, there must be many in this assembly also who might be quite foolish, even stupid. <laughs> but does that mean that I should start treating them as fools? Or I should scorn them or despise them as fools? <clears throat> During the days of my wanderings, I would meet all kinds of characters, including thieves and robbers. Baba wandered from the age of 15 uh, till well into his 30s, all over India. And uh, it was the Sadhu Trail, and God knows what was there, all kinds of weird people and weird types, and had many life experiences. So I met many characters, including thieves and robbers. In those days, I had hardly any possessions. I used to wear just a loincloth and have a wrap around my trunk, and there was nothing with me which could be stolen. On the contrary, if I hung out with thieves, they had to feed me. <laughs> Once I ran into a character who was later on caught by the police and hung. I asked him, why do you rob people? He said quite proudly, it's my family tradition. <laughs> I come from a family of illustrious robbers and he took great pride in his, that particular kind of crime. Now from my point of view, what he was doing was utterly foolish, but from his point of view, what he was doing was a matter of pride. He was trying to live up to his family tradition. I did not want to impose my notions of wisdom and cleverness on him. I said to myself, look, what he's doing is his concern, not mine. I was quite happy with the meal he fed me and left the next day. <laughs> so that's external considering, isn't it? You don't make everything your business. He said, all right. You know. The world is filled with strange characters. <clears throat> Then there was a very great man, a most strange character living in Karantak, named Nagalinga. He behaved in the most strange manner. During the day, he would hit people with his stick mercilessly, and at night, he would give the most enlightened discourses on spiritual themes. <clears throat> this is really good now. In the Vedantic scriptures, there's a mantra, the meaning of which is, when a householder looks at an ascetic, he says to himself, look at that bum. He is utterly useless. This is a swami. When a householder looks at a swami. When a householder looks at an ashramite, you could say. <laughs> he isn't doing anything for society. He's a parasite living off others. He is utterly stupid. But when a sadhu looks at a householder, he says, look at that wretch, that sensual slave. He hasn't realized the utter futility of pleasure and is still rolling in piggish mire. <laughs> the householder thinks that the sadhu is a fool and the ascetic thinks the householder is a fool. 
Who is going to decide who is actually foolish? <laughs> uh, we should be concerned about what really is our concern. It reminds me of uh, Epictetus, you know. Be concerned with what you can deal with. I've learned a new phrase just the last few weeks. I've heard this phrase from three or four different directions. And it's stay in your own lane. That's something not understood in India. In India, <laughs> in India, if there are three lanes of traffic, there are five cars in them. And in fact, when I drove on the freeway in India, new freeway, it said lane driving. <laughs> and it meant stay in your lane. Uh, but stay in your lane. So do do what's in front. What do what's your business? Attend to your own business. He said, uh, <clears throat> there's no, absolutely no need on our part to overstep the boundary of what should concern us. Now comes the part I like. Just a few minutes ago, Sudaka came up with a note containing a question, and I did not accept it. I sent him back, and I shouted at him, because it's not his job to give people's questions to us. Sudaka was Baba's houseboy at the time. In fact, just a month before this, we'd visited his parents. My parents came to the ashram, and Sudaka was from Yaola, and Baba gave us the address, and we went on a trip with my parents to his house in, in uh, Yola. That's not relevant, but interesting. <clears throat> and what was the question of doing for the last three days? How come he thought of it at the very last moment? Somebody gave... Sudaka, the houseboy, a question, and he ran up to Baba, and he yelled at him and said, well, it's not your job to bring the questions. So right in the middle of my lecture, he be I began to shout at Sudaka because he was doing something that wasn't part of his job. <clears throat> one should first make oneself sure of his particular field. Therefore, one should be concerned only with one's particular department or sphere, and one should not be concerned with what is happening in a field which doesn't concern him. <clears throat> During your spare time, you should be absorbed in the inner self. Also, why should you waste time and energy in trying to reform another character? In many cases, you may just be spoiling yourself in an attempt to reform another person. Why should you disturb your own peace of mind? You should not butt in to what you're not concerned with. It is, of course, true that one should not be arrogant or egotistical, conceited, but it doesn't mean that one should lose discrimination. Now comes the good part. Now if somebody comes to me and asks me whether there's room for him in the ashram, I tell him, go ask the Sai. That's Swami Govindananda who visited here a couple of times since passed on. He was the ashram manager. <clears throat> so I say, ask the Sai. Does that mean the Sai is my master? Does it indicate that I'm subordinate to Desai? Or that he's lord over me? Or that I can't make a decision in the matter myself? No, it shows that I've entrusted this job to him and I rely on him for the job utterly. There are other people who come for darshan and after taking darshan they tell me quietly that they want to see the gardens. I tell them, look, I'm only authorized to bless you. <laughs> If you want to see the gardens, just go and talk to Shankar about it. 
but does that mean that I'm scared of Shankar? <laughs> that I myself don't, can't ask somebody to go with that person and show them around? <clears throat> if I have given the orders that the office must be closed at a certain hour, then it must be closed at that hour, regardless of who's sitting inside, even if secretary decide, that's a different decide. <clears throat> that was uh, Keshav decide, that's right is sitting inside, he should be thrown out. And this is what I tell Sharda Amma very clearly. She's the head of the office. If there's anybody who wants certain things from the store, then I ask them to go approach Durga because that is her job, American woman. <clears throat> Some of the local boys who are employed here come to me sometimes sneakily and ask me permission to go to leave for a day or two. I ask them, did you ask Venkapa? Venkapa was in charge of them. It's not within my power to grant you leave. This is what organization means. This is what discipline means. No matter who a person may be, whether a trustee or somebody else, I would not tolerate any interference from him as far as organization, the administration of the ashram is concerned. It is, of course, true that there are men and men, and there are people who need to be reformed. Therefore, one should exercise restraint. There are feelings which have become, if there are feelings which have become strongly entrenched in you, they will not be changed by external behavior. There was a great Vaishnava who was a butcher, and though he was slaughtering animals, inwardly he was a great devotee of the Lord, and the external behavior did not affect his inner devotion. Take the case of Kanupatra, who was a dancing girl, a dancing girl. If there's... <laughs> If there's an attitude with which one becomes firmly established, it doesn't change whatever our external behavior may be. Counterpart is a great famous saint also. Take the case of Sergeant Kumar, who was here a few days ago. He's a naval officer, and he fought very bravely in the recent war, and he's a very good meditator. Though he fought bravely, that war did not affect his inner heart or mind. Try to stay composed as much as you can and look upon all equally. How's that? So what's Bob is saying? Doesn't matter what you do, stay centered, stay in your own lane, be disciplined, <clears throat> and ask Shankar if you want to see the ashram. <laughs> so I, I did, I actually, that was slightly inaccurate of Baba, I have to say, because they didn't call me to show them the gardens. What happened when new people came to the front um, they wanted to see the ashram. I took them around, and then at the end, I brought them up to Baba, which was, of course, the cherry on the cake for me. Because I would, by that time, I would know what their trip was, and I would tell Baba, this one's from Paris, this one's from uh, Milan, this one is from New York, and tell him something, and Baba would do some, his characteristic thing, and I would get darshan, and I'd go off. So, you like that? Imagine how I felt when Baba said that. <laughs> what do you think? Let's meditate. I thought Baba was very afraid of me. <laughs> Baba was the, the closest thing to a fearless human being that I've ever met. Quite extraordinary. 
So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And that place of fearlessness, that place of contentment, that place of joy is within everyone. And we have to deal with the mind. We have to let, let the mind rule us. We have to not let it go off in negative directions. And through meditation, we can sink into the place beyond the mind, which is the self, pure awareness. And the more times we do that, we keep sinking into it and sinking into it, we create a samskara, a habit. We create a tendency of a center. We become centered in that place of great strength and great power, great detachment, great joy, great love. And so meditation is the way to it. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And the goal of meditation is in the self. And during that answer to me on this day, 51 years ago, Baba said, always think, I am the self. I am the self. I am consciousness. I am not the individual that I identify with. I am the self. I'm not either the one I diminish and I self-hatred and I see as small, or the one that puffs up and is on a big ego trip. I'm neither of those. But I am the divine self of all, just as everyone is. So meditate on the self. And once again, with great respect and love, welcome you all with all my heart. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. Sakunat Maharaj Kijay.